0: Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you today. And we are launching a new sermon series today. It's kind of attached to the one we walked through in June. So if you remember, the one in June was all about the trustworthiness of our God, a mighty fortress. So this is the transition over to, so how come we don't always just put our faith and trust in Him? What's going on with that? And so, why is it that sometimes my heart bends this way or bends that way? And, and so, we're going to talk a little bit through the heart that we have, the heart that's been affected by sin, and how that tends to impact our worship, all right? In fact, uh, if you remember back, for those who have been around for a while, we talked back in the Toxic series. So, this is like October, November like a couple years ago, all right, two, three years ago, we talked in the toxic series about this quadrants of the heart, the four quadrants of the heart. So let's throw this first image up here just to remind a little bit, and for those who weren't with us to give you a little bit of information, all right? So if you think of the human heart, there's actually maybe four generalities, four quadrants of the heart that we might wrestle with, with sin, four different ways that sin shows itself in broad sets. And so in the bottom right, you see the word fear. That's like, uh, I'm not sure God has this, so I need to raise up and make sure I've got it. God's not able, so maybe I need to be able, right? Fear. And then on the other side, despair. That's like, I'm not really sure God cares to have me protected or cared for in any way. And, and so instead of having God's care, maybe it's self-pity that I roll in instead. And this despair is sort of a woe is me. I'm all alone in this, right? And often fear can move towards despair when it's been around for a long time. But despair starts to eat on the soul and say, no one cares. My God does not care, right? And then you go up to the top, anger. This is actually one that gets expressed out in a number of them. Anger can come out in several different of these quadrants. But anger coming out in that top one is like, I'm in charge. And God, why aren't you giving me what I want? And I demand it be this way. And uh, that self rule and taking over. And, And that's what's going on with that top quadrant, all right? That top quadrant over on the anger side is all about you wanting your way. God, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And then foolishness on the other side. Foolishness is the, I'm not satisfied with you, God. Like, I want to be satisfied in the way I want to be satisfied. I want feel-good stuff in my life, and so I'm going to go after it in whatever way I see fit. And all of a sudden, we start using different things to make us uh, have a sense of satisfaction in the moment, foolishness, where we just run off and try to do whatever feels good. These are the four quadrants, and there might be a mix, and we're rarely just one of them, okay? Just so you know, we're all very complex beasts, You all get that, right? And so as we work through it, there's usually some mix of the quadrants, usually start in one spot, maybe bounce to another, and and there's some different pieces that go on with that. But what does it look like as God starts to do a healing of this broken heart? Let's throw the second slide up here. So you can see we put the solution statements the what it looks like as God starts to heal that quadrant. So as the fearful heart starts to begin to be transformed by the Holy Spirit's glory, we literally start to have a trust in Him. Just so you know, trust is not something you just muster up and fake on your own. Trust is something that starts naturally happening as God does a work in you. Okay. As your fearful heart starts to be transformed, you start to become a more trusting heart. The despairing heart starts to lean more towards hope. My God does care. My God is invested into me. My God does have a plan that is loving and gentle, and he's pouring it on. I have hope in him. And on the top, the anger. I'm not in charge. He is in charge. A surrendering heart. And as the Holy Spirit starts doing a work and showing you the greatness and the strength and the power of the Almighty God and your lowliness and smallness and the wrongness of you declaring you're in charge, a surrender starts taking place and the anger starts getting set down. And in the foolishness, satisfaction starts coming out. You are fully satisfied in your God. And all of a sudden you're finding Him to be so deeply richly awesome in your life, and you're not looking for other things to satisfy along the way, this is the end goal. Lord, heal my heart so that I'm looking like the outside, a trusting, hopeful, surrendered, satisfied follower of you. And all of God's people said, right? and so as we talk about our broken heart and our heart that needs to be transformed, we're talking about these quadrants and God doing a word to start to shape them out to what it looks like to put all of it into God's hands, all right? That's the quadrants of the heart. So when we start saying, he's a mighty fortress, like lean on him. Just so you know, one or more of the quadrants of your heart are like, "Uh uh-uh. Don't want to do that, really. Not going there. Why? What's going on within me That might cause me to pull back. Am I fearful? Am I in despair? Am I saying I'm in charge? Or am I like, sorry, I'm on a feel good tour and you aren't a part of the trip. And like, where are you on it? And let's make sure we figure out and sort of self-diagnose over these weeks, which part of me is tending to hinder me from a full out worship of my God. Are you ready for the journey? Terrible answer. Are you ready for the journey? All right, here we go, right? We're going to dive in. We're going to figure out. There's a little bit of reasoning within you as to what's going on. So here's the third picture. This is what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going after the fearful heart today. And what does it look like to become more of a trusting heart? Lord, transform me to become more trusting, all right? So if you know that you're wrestling with fear, wake up. Here you go. If you're like, I don't think that's me, like, hang on, it just might be. You'd be shocked how often fear creeps into everything, all right? So here we go. Let's dive in today, and we're going to start to look at one of the quadrants of the heart and how to go after a worship of our God with that. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. And the sermon today is titled, Trust, Not Fear. He holds my hand. Trust, not fear, all right? Isaiah 41. And the first step, if we're going to move from a fearful heart to a trusting heart, first step, recognize that God sets up kings and tears them down, not humans in their feeble attempts to control. It's God setting up kings and tearing them down, not humans running around managing politics, right? And uh, it doesn't really get managed as people try to manipulate and control, God is over it all. And we're going to see that roll out in these first verses here as we recognize God's full-on sovereign rule. Everybody just say the word sovereign. He's in charge. And if we're going to move from a fearful heart to a trusting heart, we got to grasp he's got it all in hand. All right? Here we go. Starting in verse 1, he says, listen to me in silence. O coastlands, let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Let's just walk through that for a little bit. He says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. This is a lot like last week's and even a couple weeks back where we heard the words, be still. Approach your God in Silence, meaning like, I'm not going to talk back. I'm not going to fight you. The be silent or the in silence means drop your arms, stop the fighting, right? Come to me, not with a heart of fighting, but with a heart of understanding what I'm doing and letting me lead. He says, listen to me in silence. Some of you as parents may have said those words to your kids, at least inside, right? You're in that moment where you're like, listen to me in silence, I have a few things to say, and that's what's going on here. God's shaping, and he's sharing with them a challenge that he's got. He says, oh, coastlands, this is like all the nations from water edge to water edge. Like, everybody, listen to this. Then he starts out, he says, let, and he has some commands. Now, just so you know, in the Hebrew, let's do a little Hebrew moment. There's verbs that are imperatives. Do this, okay? Those are imperatives. Do it. And then there are verbs that are, they call them soft imperatives, soft imperatives. And that's where they're trying to capture, it's a call to do it, but it's a little bit more gentle and it's calling people to come along together in it. You will always, everybody say always, you will always see the words, let us. In the Old Testament, when you're seeing that soft imperative, it's this call to do it. It's almost a command, but it's a little gentler, and it includes the one saying it. He's like, let the peoples renew their strength. This is a call together for a renewing of strength. Now, if you go back up to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 there, right at the end of Isaiah 40, look what it says. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength strength. Wait on the Lord and he will renew. Be still before him. Allow him to work. Wait patiently on him and he does a strength renewing. Now we go back down to Isaiah 41 where we were. Let the peoples renew their strength. He's not saying, muscle it up, man. Do it yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, wait on Lord. The Lord. We just got done saying it a few verses earlier. Be patient with your God who's in charge. Come and wait upon the Lord. He will renew your strength. Then he says, let them approach, then let them speak. Come address your God. Spend time with your God. Relate to your God. Relate to him in a way where you're sharing what's going on in your life and you're grasping what's going on in God's plan. Come to him and share with him. And then he says, let us together draw near for judgment. And uh, Well, that doesn't sound fun. Come on over here. Let me judge you, right? And he's like, let me make this super crystal clear. If you're going to grasp what's going on, if your fear is going to be turned over to trust, you will grasp who's in charge. And if God's in charge, we are going to grasp, Lord, there is a day where I stand before you in judgment and you rule, not me. I don't get to shake a fist and say that's not the way it goes. This is the way it goes. You are the one who's in charge. And so I'm sitting before you. This is, Lord, help me come to you for strength. Lord, help me come to you to relate to you. And Lord, let me understand you're in charge. You've got this. If we're going to set our fear down, we've got to pick our God up. He is a mighty fortress. Okay? Huge deal. Now he says... um, Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? Let me just let that sit with you for a moment. Uh, Who stirred up from the east one whom victory meets at every step? And the answer is, I have no idea what he's talking about, right? You might be like, I don't know what that means. And just so you know, these are great moments for you to have a commentary with, okay? So this is a really easy to understand sentence, and yet the context behind it is like, what is he talking about? And then you get into a commentary that helps show you a few things, and everything opens up. So if you don't have like an ESV study Bible, or maybe a Bible knowledge commentary, one of those things you can just flip open, and it gives you a little bit of insight, man, get a hold of one of those. We've got the Moody Bible commentary. We've got a few different commentaries in the bookstore here. Man, get after having one of those. Uh, on your bookshelf, it can really help in these kinds of moments. So if you actually went over to Isaiah 44 just a few chapters later, and you don't have to turn there, but at the end of Isaiah 44, there's a king that's mentioned there. The king is Cyrus, and Cyrus is in charge of all of Persia, and now you've got a picture in time here. We've got Isaiah writing, and some long time later, right, a couple hundred years later, we've got uh, Cyrus coming with Persia. And this massive resolving that's happening, and as Isaiah's recording down what's going to happen in the future, he's like, there's this one from the east that's going to come. And there's going to be an answer in him. And, And we end up finding out in chapter 44, his name will be Cyrus, and he will be king over Persia. And for those of you who are with us, uh, as we walked through Daniel last year, and we talked a little bit about some of the different meanings in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, and there was the bear with two shoulders and one shoulder higher than the other, it talked about this media Persian nation, two nations, two kings, one king bigger than the other, right? Or the ram with two horns, one ram bigger than the other, it gave like a picture of what this kingdom looks like, Isaiah's giving the name. He's like, I ain't just giving you a picture, his name is Cyrus, and here in chapter 41, he's like, the guy from the east, okay? So it's all coming together. This is the salvation that's going to come to Israel. Now, you have to remember when Isaiah was writing, he was in the time of the kings, and things were going pretty bad. Things were going really bad here, and as he's writing this, there's hope. What the Israelites and the Judahites, the people from Judah, didn't know was they were actually going to be taken away into exile. It was going to get worse, And then there was going to be an answer of Cyrus coming from the east that was going to take over. And as he took over Babylon, this place where they were in exile, and began to release them, he sent them back to Jerusalem to rebuild. First thing Cyrus did. Not a very godly man. Quite frankly, not a righteous man at all. But God was using him. And as he sat down with the Babylonians and he saw what was going on, he's like, send these Israelites back home. Send these people back to Jerusalem to build back there. And it was the way God was going to use man in this world to rebuild the nation of Israel in Jerusalem there. And God used Cyrus in that regard, okay? So that's what's being talked about, a little bit of a history moment that a commentary is absolutely essential for. And just reading it isn't just going to reveal it. You'd have to read about five to seven chapters here to be able to pull it all together, all right? So that's what's happening. Who stirred up the one from the east? And the answer of who stirred him up is... Well, Cyrus is the guy. Who stirred him up? Who stirred up Cyrus? The answer is God Almighty. See, when you're in church, the answer is always... <laughs> right? So, <laughs> who stirred up Cyrus to come from the east? The answer is... And I'm telling you, make sure you're all over it. God's in charge. He is sovereign. All right? and. Uh, whom victory meets at every step, meaning everywhere Cyrus went, he was winning. And he gives up nations before him. God is letting nation after nation fall before Cyrus so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow, like Cyrus is just rolling through and everything is going his way. That's what's going on. God blessing this and giving this to Cyrus, but God's got a plan. It says, he pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not yet trod. Cyrus is coming over from the east, paths he has not yet trod. People have come from the west and done some conquering, but from the east, this is going to be a new thing. He's taking paths he has not yet taken. So this little statement about Cyrus is like, heads up, God's even in charge of the guy who's going to break you free. Huge deal. And uh, He says, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Who has done all this work? I, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the one who has no beginning and no end, who is awesome in all that he is. The one who is personally being able to be known. He gives us that name, Yahweh. In fact, this name is so important to the Jews that they would never say the name Yahweh. They would always say Adonai instead because they never wanted to take the Lord's name in vain. It was that important to try to respect it. They would never actually say the name or the word. So they would always say Adonai in place of this all-capped Words here, and I the Lord, the first and with the, uh, and with the last, I am he. He is the first and the last, just like Jesus is, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last, with God begins and ends all things, God's in charge. He sets up kings and he takes them down. He moves in this world. He absolutely is in charge of what's going on in all rulerships. Do you believe that? Like that means even in America and whoever's elected and whether you're good with it or bad with it, God having some say behind that in what he's doing, hang on, God's in charge. And all of God's people said, all right, big deal. He says, the coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. And uh, this connection together, there's like this fear that's going on. Can you feel it? And there's actually sort of an appropriate response here, but just so you know, these are guys that do not believe in God Almighty. And uh, these are unbelievers, and look what happens. As all this starts rolling and God's in charge, it says, the coastlands, well, man, they've seen it, and they are afraid. They're having a proper response of fear of the Lord. They're grasping the bigness of God, and they're nervous about it. It says they're trembling. It says they've drawn near, and they're coming near to God. It almost sounds like an appropriate thing, like a fear of the Lord seems to be going on. And then the next thing, it says, everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong, right? That almost sounds good, right? So they're gathering together. They have a fear of the Lord. They're rallying around each other, and like, be strong, man. It almost sounds like the church, Like, let's properly fear the Lord and let's rally and encourage one another. And so there's a lot of the similar things going on, but then you look at the third step. It says, the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil. It's like they're all saying to each other, come on, man, you can do this. They're talking to each other real strong. Here we go. Saying of the soldering, it is good. Now, are you hearing it? Genesis chapter 1, when God creates... God says, let there be light. And when it's all done and that happens, he says, it is good. And they're beginning to mirror the creation of God as they're creating their own things. And they're like, my things that I create, they are good. And it's like, I am gonna be like the most high. And they're beginning to lift themselves up. And so while there's this kind of fear of God and this rallying together and encouraging one another. Everything they're building is what they're declaring good. And then what comes next? And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. I will anchor down my stuff so it doesn't move. They're building idols that are all important to themselves. And everything they build, they will declare as good. They have seen the greatness of God and so they have worked harder at making their stuff look impenetrable. They're going after things that could be a very proper response at first when you're seeing God, and yet they're ending up with a hardcore idolatry in the midst. They're assisting and strengthening. They're nailing it down so it will not move. Man, we are vicious with our own idols, aren't we? When we go after idols, it's like, I am not going to let this thing come down. I long for this thing to be taken care of well. In fact, I just wrote this about idolatry. Uh, This is a quote from Augustine. Idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used. Worshiping anything that ought to be used. You hearing it? Like the stuff of life becomes something you're worshiping. Worshiping anything that ought to be used. And then he followed it up with, "Or using anything that ought to be worshipped. And that's an awesome statement. It's worshipping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. Is your relationship with your God strictly about saying what you can get from Him, how you can move Him or manipulate Him, how you can use Him? God, I'm going to try to make you give me you're trying to make an idol of things, and there's something more important to you than God himself. And what is that? And You've got to get to the bottom of what do I care most about, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in the second point. These guys were going hard after responding to a God who's absolutely in charge, and they responded with some levels of proper fear, right? Fear the Lord is actually not a bad start to life. But it wasn't because they were actually seeing him and being in awe of him. It's because they were standing against him and they were afraid of the judgment that was coming. And so they went to building their own idols. Man, our job, recognize that God is in charge. Do you recognize that in your own life? Do you see him as the one who is moving and shaping in you? Or maybe here's another way to ask it. Is there something that gets you so hot when it doesn't go your way? Is that indicating an idol in your life that you need to be setting down before your God and coming to Him with all you've got? All right. As we manage fear and bring it to trust, the second step, not only recognizing that God's in charge, but second, gain strength from your God. Do not fear your circumstances. Gain strength from your God. Do not fear your circumstances. Your strength does not come from you. It is not gain strength from me. I am going to muscle this up. You know, I've had problems with fear or anxiety this last week, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be strong, man. This week, I'm not going to let it get to me. Like, I get that, and I'm okay that you want to put some effort on that, but please hear me. The answer biblically is that God puts the strength In your soul, he brings a grace to bear, and as you're worshiping him, he starts doing a miracle work. Moving out of fear is moving closer to your God and trusting him. And all of God's people said, All right, so here we go. We start out in verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, notice the contradiction. He starts out, but. Like, those guys didn't have it down. The ones I've talked about in the first seven verses are all kind of going against God. They're building their own idols. But you, Israel, my servant. This is God speaking of Israel, and he's like, I'm just telling you, guys, I've got a plan for you. He says, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. That can start to move fear over to trust. When you start to hear words like, I have chosen you, I'm doing something in you, I have a plan with you, you are my servant, you are my friend, I love you, and I'm pouring it on, God's like, but you, Israel, my servant, and Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, like as I rallied you together from all over the place, the various dispersions that took place over time, the pulling together and caring for them. Man, I've got a plan as I'm doing it. He says, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not cast you off. I have chosen you and I have not cast you off. Please hear me. If we're gonna dismiss a heart of fear and have it become a heart of trust, we have got to hear these words that God is saying to Israel here and God does say to those who are believers that trust in him as well. Like we see in Romans chapter eight that we are the adopted ones. We are called his children. That he pours it on for us. There is a massive hope that comes in Jesus Christ that we can have life in him, that we can have faith and trust in him, that our fear can be dismissed as he begins to strengthen because we're hanging close to him. Your fear subsides as your worship rises and you hand it all to your God. And he's like, hear me, you are my servant, my friend. You are the one I have chosen. I have plans for you and I have not cast you off. And then he says in verse 10, Fear not. Fear not. Have you ever been in a moment where you've been absolutely petrified? Like something's getting to you. The anxieties are rising. You're really worried about it. Maybe it's something's going to happen to you. Maybe it's something that's going to happen to somebody you love and your fears are starting to rise and then some guy next to you says, yeah, don't be afraid. Like, oh, thanks for all the help. Right? That does not help me. Like, don't do that. Yeah, I know not to. It's freaking me out, but I don't know where to go. Telling someone not to does not get the job done. He says here, do not fear. Like, why would he say that, man? That doesn't help. Look at the next statement. For I am with you. Now, that could stop some fear. He's like, listen to this. Don't worry, I'm right here with you. We've got this thing and we're walking through it together. Do not fear. Eyes right here, look at me, right? That's God talking to you. Like, do not look at that. You're looking at the circumstance too much. You're getting all focused on what's going on out there. Man, look here. Look at me. I am with you. Now, that's a God who brings trust into our lives. And all of God's people said, whatever you're wrestling with, be careful. Don't fix your eyes on the circumstance. Fix your eyes on the God of the universe who is right there with you. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. And that word there, Elohim, the one with all power. I am the one who has all power in this world, Trust me, hang with me. Now he says, be not dismayed. That's another word for fear. And actually, just looking up a little bit of the detail, just so you know, that word do not fear. Remember, we talked about the command form in Hebrew? That's in the command form. Don't fear. Command form. And then this be not dismayed, it's also in the command form, but there's a little shift on it. It says, do not do this to yourself. It's like, it's in the reflexive form is what it's called. Don't make yourself get all wigged out. That's what he's saying with the word dismayed. You're wigging yourself out, man. Stop running the self-talk that keeps exploring all the what-ifs that could go bad. Don't force yourself to be driven down into fear. Look at me. I am your God. Super biblical interpretation. Don't wig out. Right? Right? Hold it together. Trust your God. You might be like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I really struggle with fear. And uh, it seems like maybe that's not my problem. And uh, others of you might be like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's my problem, right? And uh, so let's just do this. Let's talk about fear for a moment, all right? And I just wrote these down. Four fruits of fear. Four fruits of fear. Number one, controlling. Controlling. Trying to control. High fear equals high control. If you find yourself trying to manipulate or control other people to get them into place, just so you know, that is usually driven out of fear. I say usually because it could also be like you're in charge, you just want your way. But usually it's driven from you are wigging out about something happening and you're longing to try to prevent that or make the right thing happen. Control. High fear equals I control, all right? That's the first one, controlling. The second one, avoiding. It's the exact opposite. If I can't manage and manipulate it, then I'm just going to get away from it. Avoiding. And that's usually a really high indicator of fear as well. But what if this were to happen? I'm leaving. I'm out of here, right? So controlling and avoiding, those are both really strong fruits of fear. And then the third one, second-guessing. Second-guessing. Like if you're the kind of person that makes a decision and then the next minute you're like, oh, oh, oh never mind, that was a bad decision. Maybe, maybe we should do, maybe we should do that. Oh, I don't know, was I right in this? Maybe I should be more like, I, could it look more like? And you keep re-going over and re-deciding and wishing maybe you could have a do-over again. And, right, you love the word mulligan in golf. And, right, like if second chances, second thinkings and redoings, all of it. Well, that could be fear that's gripping you and you're afraid to commit to what needs to go on, okay? Second guessing. So controlling, avoiding, second guessing, and then the last one, people pleasing. Making sure that they're good with you. If you would prefer to stand in the middle ground and never take a side and always try to not have anybody upset with you, and there is no right and wrong. I just want you to like me, and I want you to like me, and I want you to, and there is no truth in anything. Heads up, you probably have a pretty big fear of man going on, and you're really afraid of them coming down on you. What if they uh, set me aside? What if they speak ill of me? What if they damage some friendships? What if they talk against me? What if, what if, what if? And the fear of man starts rising up, and we're crippled in it, And so we just become really amenable. We just start speaking nicely to everyone we're never, ever having a challenge statement in at all. And hear me, I love being nice to people and all of God's people said, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with being nice, but being nice at all times because you never wanna take a stand with your God because you're afraid of this person coming against you somehow, that's a problem. We need more a fear of God than we do a fear of man. We need to take a stand with our king, on what's true. And all of God's people said. Yeah, I was a little softer on that one. Did you hear that? And all of God's people said. Amen. Right? And uh, we go after a fear of God, not a fear of man. And uh, fear, it can be complex, controlling and avoiding and second guessing and people pleasing. Here's a great, great quote. Ready? Uh, I've got it in an anonymous quote. I'm not sure who said this. Somebody somewhere said it, I'm sure. Ready? Uh, Follow someone's fear and you will find what they worship. Follow someone's fear, and you will find what they worship. Your fear is always protecting something, and whatever you're protecting is usually what you're worshiping, okay? If you're protecting your God, then you've got a great healthy fear of the Lord. But if you're protecting something in you and something going on with you, then heads up, you probably have a bit of an idol going on there. Follow someone's fear and you will find what they worship. And so what does it mean do not fear? Like how do I address this? How do I walk in the middle of it? It is kind of got my head swirling and how do I do this? And all right, here are the steps to not fear. You ready? Healthy steps to take when you're feeling yourself go under fear. Number one, worship your God. It'll feel like it is completely out of joint. The first few times, but I'm telling you, take some time to say, God, this is how you're awesome. You start getting the bigness of your God and your fears will subside appropriately. Worship your God. See, the problem is rising up and you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. God, you are an awesome God. You are amazing in all that you know and everything you can do. You set up kings and you tear them down. You're in charge of this universe. You have it in hand. Okay, now what were you talking about? It tends to change how you address things as you see God in charge. Worship your God. Put it even verbally, saying it out loud. I'm telling you, there's a power to saying it out loud. There just is for you. As you begin to voice it out, you start committing to it more and more. God, I'm with you on this. Worship Almighty Sovereign God. Number two, try to identify what the fear actually is. What has you wigging out? That could be a little bit of an art. So don't spend a lot of time there, but try to identify what the fear is. It might be really obvious, right? There's something right in front of you. It's threatening to hurt in some way, and you grasp that. uh, Identify what is causing the fear. Number three, step out and handle your responsibility. Please get the word responsibility on step three. Step out to your responsibility, okay? Okay? There are certain things that God has called you to, and you do need to step out and manage those things, right? Making sure you're doing your part. That's it. If you overstep, you're controlling. If you understep, you're avoiding. Are you seeing those two words now? Remember those fruits of the the fear? So if you overstep, you've controlled. If you understep, you're avoiding. Managing your responsibility alone, okay? That's just your responsibility. And then the last one uh, is trust God for your concerns. Make sure you get the word concerns in there on four. Trust God for your concerns. So you are stepping out in your responsibilities. You are trusting God for your concerns. Just so you know, everything that everybody else does is a concern. Like you hope it comes together. You hope it works out. You're praying for God to do a work there, but it is not your responsibility, right? It is not your responsibility. Here's a good one, parents, as you send your college kids off to school, you long for them to make wise decisions, you long for them to go in certain ways and directions, you're praying for them, and you have concerns, rightful biblical concerns for them that they manage and navigate those waters. It is not your responsibility to make sure they get to class by 8 o'clock. So if you're calling your kid every morning and saying, get up, you got to get to class. You have overstepped your responsibility. You are wading into what is a concern now. It's time for you to do your things and you trust them to do theirs. You trust your God to manage it overall. And that's why we're raising them up through the junior high and high school years so that as we do release them, they do get up in time for class, right? That's a big deal and it's a subtle and easy, a benign one, but as it gets closer and closer to your heart, I'm telling you, it gets tougher and tougher to manage, And so as you raise up your kids, make sure you're practicing this, that you're managing your responsibility and you're having them manage their responsibility, that you're trusting God for concerns. You're not manipulating the circumstance, okay? Don't over control it, but don't under manage it either. That's how we address fear. Make sense? So fear, I'm gonna worship my God. I'm going to identify what's wigging me out. I'm going to be like, God, what are my responsibilities in this that I should take steps for? And Lord, I'm trusting the rest to you. I'm not going to control my spouse. I'm not going to control my friendships. I'm not going to try to manipulate my boss. And those are their jobs. I'm going to do my thing and my responsibility before God. And then I trust God to manage the rest. He sets up kings and he tears them down. He can manage this. And God, if this walks us through a tougher circumstance, I trust you to give me the grace to walk it through. That's a big one. So as we trust our God, we're trusting him to provide the grace and the strength for us to walk through it and the wisdom and the smarts to everybody around to manage their pieces. Okay? This can take a little bit of art practice to get on it. So if you're wrestling with fear, make sure the first one is where you start. Worship your God. Fear not, for I am with you. Okay? So, just a quick story uh, on this. Elisha will go Old Testament story on this. Cool story. He's a prophet of God. He's performing miracles. Massive things are taking place in his life. He's doing things where people are just jaw-dropped, like, wow, that was cool. As he's doing these different things to show off the greatness of God. And people are listening to him as he's beginning to direct the nation. And as he's having statement in Israel, he's having an effect. And then one day his servant comes to him, wakes up in the morning. He's like, bad news. There are kings coming up the mountain. They are coming to wipe us out. And I don't know what to do, man. This is over. You and I are dead unless you have something Going on that I don't know about. And Elisha looks at him and basically he says, Do not be afraid. Again, how much does that word help? <laughs> right? It doesn't change everything. He's like, Oh, okay, well then never mind. And, well, I won't worry about the chariots storming up the mountain right now and dudes with spears and swords. Never mind. You told me not to be afraid. I'm not going to be. He said, Do not be afraid. But then he puts after it, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he's like, what? And he says, God, please open his eyes. And all of a sudden, as his eyes open up, spiritually speaking, he sees angels galore. He sees angels chariots on fire, he sees God making a stand and a statement that says, not here and not now. This is not going on. And then the servant went, never mind, we're cool. Right? I'm telling you, it is a huge deal for us to have spiritual eyes into our physical problems. Spiritual eyes into our physical problems. And it starts with a worship of our God. Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. God, you've got this. Open my eyes to seeing you and where you're at. Fear not, for I am with you. Man, I'm telling you, our heart moves from fear to trust as we begin to sense the presence of God and the movement of God. And maybe even he reveals the plan to you. That's a big deal, just so you know. Not often that he actually shares the plan. He's just more like, come along with me. I've got an amazing plan. And our job is to trust on the steps. But at times, he may reveal the whole plan to you. So be it. Please hear me. Our job is to trust in him. He is right there with you. So now I ask you, what circumstance are you going through that's maybe wigging you out? What stuff are you facing That stings and scares and makes you almost not be able to breathe. What risks are you facing that bring potential heartache? Hear me. Fear not, your God is with you. Lean on that, trust in Him. Worship Him with all you've got. Welcome in the presence of God and watch Him do a changing work in you. Trust your God. And all of God's people said, huge. All right. Number three. Now we'll hammer the word trust again. Trust in His calming, providing presence in your life. Trust in His calming, providing presence. Presence in your life as we pick up the end of verse 10 it says I will uphold you with my righteous right hand God protecting God's right hand his righteous right hand meaning just meaning no wrong in it and then he says behold and that word means right the word means check it out it literally means look at this watch this see this he says behold check it out All who are incensed against you shall shall be put to shame and confounded. All who are standing against you, it ain't going to work out for them. He's like, hang on. I'm doing something huge. He says, those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. Don't sweat it. I'm doing something amazing here. Stop looking at them. Start looking at me. Stop looking at your enemies or the circumstances and start looking at your king and walk with him. He says, you shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. This is not a game of hide and seek where you're losing, right? He says, you shall seek them and not find them, meaning they ain't around, man. I'm moving and I'm doing a work. I'm pushing them away from you. Heads up. Now remember, this is written to Isaiah in a time where the kings are collapsing. They were going to go into exile as the Israelites and the people from Judah are reading these kinds of words. They're like, God, where are you? And he's like, hang on. I move kings. And I'm bringing somebody from the east and I'm going to be doing something amazing. Hang on. He says, for I the Lord your God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I am with you. Picture every little photo you've ever seen of an adult holding that little child's hand on the walk. I've got your right hand and I'm with you. Just like a mom and a dad going for a walk with their little one and as they wander out, you're kind of letting them go. You may even give them more and more of your hand and you step it out and then they get near something a little dangerous and you just kind of pull in and their entire body moves because you have way more strength than them, right? And you pull that little body in close and if you're in a crowd and it's getting a little bit more dicey, you just pull them in right up against your leg as you're walking. You might even pick them up right there and he's like, I am with you and I am holding Your hand. Hang on. You're not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. This is a massive promise. Don't go after stopping the fear without practicing the presence of your God. That's what changes everything, okay? You know, there's been a number of people in our body who've gone through surgeries this past year and uh, one of our people in our body was going through a very hard time uh, on post-op and uh, for those of you who've been through post-op, the dizziness and the pain and all the rest can be brutal and and, uh, intubated and all the rest and it was hard on him and uh, the pain was huge and couldn't talk because of intubation and he just wrote down uh, on a piece of paper holding his hand. That's it. The promise that we claim is the presence of our God. It doesn't mean that every pain is just gone. It doesn't mean that every circumstance is perfect. It means God is right here with me. And he's going to give me the grace and strength to walk through this. And he might even at times mock me around it. Praise God for those moments. God's got it in hand. Do not fear. Trust. He is the almighty God of the universe. And all of God's people said, that is moving a heart of fear to a heart of trust and worshiping in our king.